Well, if you've got a Bible date, do turn to Mark chapter 9, and we're on page 844. I love the moment in the Chronicles of Narnia, where the children ask, Aslan, is he quite safe? And the answer comes, who said anything about safe? Of course, he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I don't know how long you've been a Christian. I don't know whether you'd even consider yourself a Christian. But it doesn't take long to find out that at one point, Jesus is just quite a stunning person. But another level, he's quite terrifying. (laughs) We can be awestruck by him and yet at the same time frustrated and struggling to trust him. With Jesus, it's hard to feel safe. How do we trust him? When at one level he says he's going to save us, and another level he says, come take up a cross and follow me. It's hard, isn't it? You can almost imagine the scene for the disciples. But what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus says, you're right. But I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And if you want to follow me, you need to be ready to do the same. Can you imagine? You've just discovered that your best friend is the hope of all of history. He is what all the Bible story has been pointing to. Amazed. You'd be amazed, wouldn't you? But, but then he says, he's going to suffer and die and rise. And we're called to follow him. It's mind boggling, isn't it? How can we follow this Jesus for real? How can we trust him at just that sort of point when he calls us to come and die and rise with him? Well, I think Mark in his gospel puts his stories together for a reason. He orders his material of the Lord Jesus' life in such a way to help us at this point. He tells us of how Jesus took the disciples up a mountain. And he tells us what happened at the bottom of that mountain. I think we're meant to see two things this morning. To help us trust the Lord when it seems so hard. Can Jesus really be for real? Look, here's what we need to see. Number one, we need to see the glory of the Son. We need to see the glory of the Lord Jesus. And we need to listen to him. Look what we're told. After that moment... After that moment when the disciples had discovered it and heard of what Jesus was going to do and what they were called to do, we're told, look, verse 2. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and he led them up a mountain. So Jesus is taking a small group of these disciples for a special mountaintop moment. What on earth is going on? We wonder what is to come. Well, they're going to see something. They're going to have a special mountaintop moment with Jesus. Uh, Look what happens in verse 2. As they go up the mountain, we're told, and Jesus was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. What a scene. Jesus' appearance is changed. It says transfigured. It's a strange sounding word. 
Jesus' appearance is, is utterly transformed. His clothes, we're told, turn a sort of brilliant white. It's sort of like the personal adverts or the bold detergent adverts, except so much better. Eat your heart out, bold. Jesus is white and as bright as you could never get it on earth. In other words, Jesus' clothes aren't from this world. Jesus' appearance at this moment isn't of this world. Jesus' appearance on this mountain is glowing with the brightness of heaven. Reading this story, our breath should be taken away at this moment. Up the mountain, here is this glorious appearance of Jesus. And then notice his associates. Suddenly stood beside Jesus is Elijah. He's a character in the Bible, a famous prophet who's famous for the fact that at the end of his ministry, he was taken up into heaven. So here we see Jesus clothed in heavenly glory and one of the key characters of heaven, Elijah. And, and more than that, Elijah, one who was promised to come before the Messiah came. So it's heaven's Messiah with the forerunner, Elijah. Of heaven, endorsing Jesus. And then, of course, we have Moses. Moses uh, was apparently uh, uh, died and was buried, and he was buried in an unmarked location. So much so that people, you know, you just couldn't find where he was buried. So people almost thought Moses was almost translated up to heaven right away. Elijah of heaven, Moses of heaven, Jesus in heavenly glory. Moses, of course, famously promised in the Bible that there would be another one like him to come. Do you see? Here is Jesus with all of heaven's glory, fulfilling all of the promises of God. He really is the heaven-sent divine king. And here are two witnesses standing there, Showing it to us. This moment's called the transfiguration. I'm not really sure it is a transfiguration, really. I think this is the curtain being rolled back. I think this is us seeing Jesus as he really is. And as he will be in glory when he's raised. Here is a moment for us to see that Jesus really is for real. That he really is God's anointed king. He's not a mere man, a wandering teacher in Galilee. No, he's the one who fulfills all the promises of God. He is the son of God. If we're struggling to trust Jesus today, let me ask you, can you see him as he is on this mountain? I mean, if I ask you to imagine Jesus, I wonder what comes to your mind. He's just a man. He's my own sort of little personal saviour, Jesus. And I sort of take him around in my pocket. Is that what you imagine? Or is he the real Jesus? The real Jesus with the curtain pulled back on this mountain. The king of heaven. Of heavenly glory. The one who fulfills all the promises of God. Which is it for you, I wonder? Do you see him as he really is? Because that's what we need, isn't it, if we're to follow him? I mean, when we next think, I can see, Lord, you're asking me to take up my cross. Well, will we see the Jesus who asks us to do that? Will we see the mountaintop glory? See him like that and so be able to follow him.
We so often get it wrong, and Peter does here. I hope I'll have the strength to say uh, the silly things that Peter says here tonight, uh, at 4.30 this afternoon, rather. Look at verse 5. Peter says, A rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Peter's alarmed. Do you know the thing where you're so terrified, you, you want to say something, anything, and you just end up saying the most stupid thing? Well, Peter does that here, doesn't he? Oh, can we make some tents for you? But remember, Jesus isn't a mere man. He doesn't want our tents. He wants our trust. Jesus doesn't need fixing. He needs believing. Makes the, makes the point for us very easily, doesn't it? Peter doesn't get it, does he? Doesn't understand. You see, he's not seeing Jesus properly, so he's saying the wrong things. He's telling Jesus what he needs when really Peter should be listening, shouldn't he? And so a big moment comes. Look on this mountain. We've had the brightness. We've had the Moses. We've had the Elijah. And then look at verse 7. A cloud overshadowed them. It's like Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. A cloud overshadowed them. A voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. The moment's gone in a blink of an eye. It's clearly miraculous. But here we have not just Moses, not just Elijah, but God himself saying, this is my son. He really is the focus of all of history. He is the fulfillment of all the Bible story. And God himself speaks and says, listen to him. So when Jesus calls us to come and follow him, when Jesus speaks of suffering, God says, this is my son. Listen to him. When it comes to death, this is my son. Listen to him. When he says, you'll be raised. This is my heaven-bound king. Listen to him. I wonder how you hear that voice this morning. Listen to him. It's for us, isn't it? I wonder if you hear it like a big stick. Oh, you're not really listening to Jesus. Whack. Listen to him. I wonder if you hear it like God saying to you, you really are a bit of a wally. Stop being so silly. Listen to him, you're tone deaf. I wonder if you hear it like that. <laughs> I wonder if you hear this morning God say, listen to him, and it's like God, it feels like God is exasperated with you. And so he says, listen to me or else. Well, it's none of those, is it? Really? It's listen to him because when Jesus says he's going to suffer and die and rise, it's true. On the third day, he would rise and he would ascend it's listen to him because Jesus is going to go down from that mountain and he is going to suffer and he is going to die and he is going to rise so that he can take his people to another mountain. We're told in the Bible, the vision of the new creation, it's like this mountaintop paradise where the new heavens and the new earth will be brought together and where we'll never be parted from God ever again. Jesus means to take us to that mountaintop through a cross. Taking our sins on himself. 
That's why God says, listen to him. Even when it's hard. You can believe him. You can trust him. He's my son. How do you know if you're listening to Jesus? Well, I guess we won't be listening to Jesus if we want to interpret away the hard things, will we? That Jesus says very clearly here, come and die. Come and be willing to suffer. We won't be listening to Jesus, really, will we? If we say God's word, I can kind of step away from it. It's not really personal. I can keep it at arm's length. No, what does God say here? This is my son given for you. This is personal. But we won't be listening to Jesus if we assume he's always talking about spiritual things and not things for real. Peter thinks there's physical problems to sort out. Let's make some tents. We'll be listening to Jesus if we start to say, look, yeah, I get this. Jesus does mean to, for me to sacrifice for him, to give my life for him, but it's okay. I'll be listening to Jesus if I say, when he says he's going to raise me from the dead, that isn't a fiction. That isn't a fairy tale. That's true. That's the promise of God. He literally will raise us. We'll be listening to Jesus if we read our Bibles and we go, it's hard, but it's worth it. It's true. You see, as, as the disciples here, they're to take up their cross. What do they need? What do we need? We need to see the glory of the Son of God. And we need to hear God saying to us, listen to him. Listen to him. But there's more here for us as Jesus comes down the mountain. We need to see too, here's point number two from our passage. We need to see a resurrection. We need to see a resurrection of a son and we need to learn to depend on Jesus. It's not just listening to him, but it's depending on him too that's important for us. Look what we're told in verse nine. As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they'd seen until the son of man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this Rising from the dead might mean. Jesus says to his disciples, don't tell anyone about the glory, the, the brightness, the, the, the Elijah, the Moses, the voice from heaven. Don't, don't tell anyone about this. And the disciples, uh, don't tell anyone about it until I've risen from the dead, is what Jesus says. In other words, he doesn't want them to get all political. Or, you know, let's make Jesus a political king. He said, no, keep it a secret. You can tell people about it just after I've risen from the dead. And they're thinking, risen from the dead? What does he mean by that? I mean, what's the spiritual truth of that? What's the metaphor there? What's he t- it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a spiritual truth. It's not a metaphor. <laughs> it's for real. Wow, they need to see a resurrection, don't they? To believe that Jesus really means he's to be raised. And while they're going, they're still confused as well. They get to thinking about Moses and Elijah. Look at verse 11. They ask why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he, Jesus, said to them, verse 12, Elijah does come first to restore all things, to prepare the way. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things, be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Here's the disciples, and it's very clear they haven't been listening, really. They got caught up in questions about Elijah, when they should be thinking about the Messiah. 
Uh, Jesus says, remember, Elijah came and he suffered. John the Baptist came and he suffered. And the same's going to happen for me. There was no glory for Elijah without sacrifice. There was no glory for John without sacrifice. And there'll be no glory for me without a cross. Are you listening? Listen. Come and die and rise. It'll be hard. We'll need to depend on him, but he is the king of heaven, the glorious son. And his mission is everything that he says it is. He means for us to believe it. Now, some of us will be thinking this morning, no, Jesus. You can't possibly mean that I'd be rejected, that people would stop responding to my invitations because they realize I'm a Christian or that, that people start want, stop wanting to be my friend. Or Jesus couldn't, couldn't possibly mean that I'm to love my neighbor sacrificially and to share Christ with, with them, even, even with all that might come. Jesus couldn't possibly mean for me to love him more than my career. I love him more than my social diary or my kids' social diary. And to that, God says, listen to him, doesn't he? Listen to him. Jesus is serious here. He's as serious about suffering as he is about resurrection. But he is serious about both. And so look at what happens next. Jesus gets to the bottom of the mountain. This is an argument going on, right? There's a lot of activity. And uh, this man in the crowd says, verse 17, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Well, you can imagine the disappointment. <laughs> the disciples are miracle workers, and it, and it all fails. And Jesus says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring this boy to me. It's very clear at the bottom of the mountain. We've got a, a whole generation of people, everyone involved in this incident, who really don't believe that Jesus, uh, that, that it's possible for this, this boy to be healed, that the, the evil spirit removed. They just don't believe it can be done. Everyone agrees it's totally impossible. The boy's brought to Jesus and another terrible fit occurs. And it's almost, you can feel the crowd almost saying, see Jesus, see, this evil spirit, you know, doesn't even stop before you. Stopping it is impossible. Jesus asked the father about this child, right? Look at verse 22. How, how long has this been going on? Oh, from childhood. It's often cast him into fire, into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. We're supposed to, at this point, feel the terror of what's going on in this moment. Here's a, here's a son, here's a boy. Imagine having a child that you could never leave alone in the bathroom or in the bath because they drown themselves. Imagine having a child that you couldn't leave in the kitchen because they'd set themselves on fire. Imagine having a child that you couldn't take on a, a nice clifftop walk anywhere because that would be that, or on a bridge. Or near a road because they'd run in it without control. At a moment's notice, this evil spirit will kill this boy. It seems to be only a matter of time. This boy will die. 
The disciples don't seem to be able to do anything to help him. And there's even doubt in the father's mind, isn't there? If you can, if you can do anything, please help us. And Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for me. All the things that I can do are available to you if you believe. The father's cry is wonderful, isn't it? I believe, help my unbelief. And that's where we're at this morning, isn't it? I want to believe in you, Jesus, with everything you say. But at the same time, I struggle to believe. You say, come and die and rise. And the rise, and I just, I struggle, don't I? The suffering in this life, the, the, the cost of following you, it's hard. And I know I need to believe that you'll, you'll raise me, but the truth is I find that hard to believe. Find it hard to believe that? We can't see it, can we? It is hard to believe, isn't it? And what happens next in the story almost seems to justify it. Look, verse 25. Jesus says, uh, you mutant deaf spirit, I command you, come out of this boy and never enter him again. Verse 26. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said... He is dead. And we go, okay, there you go, Jesus. You can't raise the dead. You can't can't keep your promises. You're a hollow promise, Jesus. We knew it. We knew it, Jesus. We knew it. We can't trust you, Jesus. We knew it. We knew it. And for many of us in the room this morning, and I must say it's true of me, I think, in part two, we almost live like this is the end of the story, like... Like Jesus can't deliver. We're frightened of, of living from, for him, of, of actually trusting him. But look, verse 27, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him and he arose. Here was a boy that was going to be killed. Here was a boy where it looked like he was dead. And Jesus raises him to new life. You see, when Jesus says, come and die and rise, he can Do it. Can't he? Even when everyone else says it's impossible, even when the disciples can't do it, he can. Jesus can raise the dead and Jesus will raise the dead. We can lay down our lives for him. We can give him everything. We can take up our cross and follow him. Because he is the Lord of resurrection. He will raise us on the last day. It's not impossible for him. He has the hand that lifts the dead to life. The disciples later asked Jesus, look, verse 28. Why can we cast it out? And Jesus says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. See, the disciples have been trying to follow Jesus, take up their cross as it were. They tried to listen to him, but they, they weren't depending on him. They were serving him, but they weren't praying. They weren't really relying on him. They relied on themselves. And the thing for us is if we're going to put our necks on the line, if we're going to trust Christ, well, really, we will have to depend on him to give our lives to him, to put our lives in his hands. We'll need to depend on him in the ways that the disciples had failed to do. 
You need strength to suffer for Christ. Will only be there for us. If we're depending on the same Christ to be the one who raises us from the dead. Friends, if we want to follow Jesus for real, we will need to depend on him. Hoping, hoping and trusting and believing in an impossible, a seemingly impossible resurrection. For us, that is not impossible when we have a resurrected saviour, when we have the one on the mountain. The heaven sent saviour king. So here's where following Jesus for real begins for us. Begins with really trusting him with our hopes and our fears. Saying, Jesus, I can give everything for you because you'll give me everything in the life to come. I can lay aside my popularity, my reputation. I can forfeit worldly pleasure, satisfaction. I can have different priorities. I can have your priorities, Lord Jesus. Why? Because I'm listening to the king on the mountain, the king of glory. The fulfillment of all of God's promises. I'm trusting in the one who raises the dead. He calls us to take up a cross, but he promises to raise us to new life. Can he make such promises? Yes. He is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Can he really call us to come and die and rise? Yes, he can. He's the king who raises the dead. He raises the dead where no one else come, where, where no one else can. Following him might seem hard, and it certainly isn't safe. But who said anything about safe? But he's the king. He's the king of glory. He's the king, I tell you, and he is good. He would leave that mountain to suffer and die and rise in place of sinners like you and me. And so he calls us to come. And follow him, to listen to him, to depend on him. For one day, he will raise us. And friends, that's the start. That's the beginning of following Jesus for real. It's big, isn't it? It's wonderful. Should we pray? Father God, thank you for what we've seen of Jesus this morning in in Mark chapter 9. Father, we ask that we would see and believe in the Lord Jesus, in his glory, as he is now. And that we'd listen to him and trust him. Father, we ask that we really would believe that he can raise us from the dead. We ask that we really would depend on him to count the cost. So that we might count the cost. That we might make the decision to be faithful to you and follow you and give all that we have. For the king who raises us. And who has loved us with all of his life. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen.